Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 149th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Perhaps one of the strangest branches of philosophy is solipsism, which states that the only thing to exist for sure is one's mind, and that everything outside of the mind may or may not be real. On one hand, this philosophy is uniquely positive as the mind is always in control of labeling external events as either good or bad. For example, a thunderstorm is neither good or bad, but rather relies on the interpretation of the individual to make sense of the occurrence. However, an even more strict interpretation of this philosophy would suggest that not only is the mind more valuable, it is perhaps the only thing that is real. For example, What if you were to find out that you yourself were the only human being that was in existence? You were the only one that was ever happy, suffered, fell in love, or felt lonely, and that everyone and everything was simply a figment of your imagination. Helping to assure me that I am not the only human in existence, I am once again joined by Kenny, or so I think. (laughs) Kenny, Kenny, what say you? Do you think that I'm actually a real person, or once this Zoom call disconnects, I simply vanish into the oblivion? <laughs> I don't know, Aaron. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, it's it's a pretty interesting idea, and uh, and it can be fun to tinker around with. So the the and I guess this is what we're what we're here to do is you know answer the question of you know or at least deal with it as best as we can is you know how do you prove that other people exist how do you prove that you're not the only person in in who is who is you know who's who actually exists and uh, I think that that's that's going to be pretty that's going to be pretty fun. Okay, before before we even get into the proof stuff, I just want to have a little fun, and I think this would actually make a great science fiction novel of what that would actually mean if you were the only real person and everyone else was just uh, a simulation or fake or just a part of your imagination. And there's actually some very dark implications of what that would actually mean. So if you were the only real person, what that would mean is that the person that you're talking to only exists while you are seeing and you are hearing them. Once once you turn around, they no longer exist. They they are completely gone. Like they just completely fade. And why that's so crazy and dark is imagine you're sitting at home and your wife comes home and she says, "Oh, Kenny, I had such a hard day. These things happened and it was this and that. If you're the only person that truly exists, that means that everyone else's suffering is imaginary. Your wife actually did not suffer because she's not real. So what that would mean is I I think that this would lead someone to become the, the utmost narcissist because only my happiness is real. Only my suffering is real. Like if I'm bored, only I'm bored. So I think that's incredibly dark that if you were to actually adapt this philosophy, you would completely negate the pain and suffering of everyone else because you would just say, oh, well, as long as I'm not looking at them, they are no longer real. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, I think that's actually pretty normal for human behavior. Um, we, we kind of already live that way. So you take the average person and ask them, hey, you know, do you know your neighbors? Well, most often, you know, um, 
a lot of the time people really haven't really, you know, they haven't met their neighbors and it's almost like they're living in this weird limbo where they're the only person in the neighborhood. Of course, they've seen people walking their dogs or, you know, pushing kids on a stroller. Um, but they live in the manner, they live in that sense that, you know, these are not actual human beings that I should go and introduce myself to. Um, and, you know, we're, we're often, we often think that our pain and suffering is actually far more real and far more, um, should be far more sympathized with than anybody else's. Um, so we, we, in a way, we already kind of are solipsists. And, uh, but you're right, the implications, if, if, if we actually think about it in the sense of, you know, if we follow this to its, um, to its utmost end, then it is, it, it, it is a pretty, not only dark, but dark in the sense of total abandonment of the other, but also this aloneness. You are totally alone in this video game, in this cosmic simulation, in this um, illusion of, of, of matter. But uh, it only takes a bit of a wink and a shake to, I would say, um, uh, uh, knock it all sideways. Okay. I actually love what you said, that most people are already practicing uh, this philosophy already, and they just don't know it. They're, they're actually practicing this philosophy, but they don't know it. And, and here's how. We tend, like if you can't empathize with another human being, in a way, you're kind of negating their existence. I feel like billionaires are doing a really good job of practicing this philosophy right now because it's like, well, if I don't see my workers suffering, if I don't see them working these long hours or whatever, it must not be real. And I think all of us do this to some degree. It could be our neighbors or it could just be, I mean, there, for example, are so many, um, like there was, I was just reading this article about all of the child labor that's still going on um, when it comes to manufacturing a lot of our electronics. Like even though mm -hmm. we're in 2021, we're still relying heavily on child labor uh, to, to manufacture so many of our electronics. And there isn't a bigger outrage about this because we don't actually know or see those people. Like we, 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 we are actually following, uh, we're actually following this philosophy of like, well, if I don't see the child laborer, they must not be real. They must not exist. So in a way we're kind of in, a lot of us are indirectly practicing this. Whereas if we don't see a person suffering, we automatically assume it must not be real. And, you know, that's incredibly selfish to say, but we kind of indirectly do this every single day. Yeah, I mean, on, on one hand, on one hand, it's it's a it's a testament to just how you know selfish we can be as human beings, but on the other hand, it makes sense because you cannot, you just you don't you don't live in those countries. For example, you know when you hear about you know um, um, the war in Afghanistan and you think seriously, you know, it's it's almost like this far away, far away imaginary war until it comes home. So you know, my point is simply that we can't carry the reality uh, of you know the implications of everybody's suffering and every government wrongdoing and every um, sleazy CEO messing around you know in one country or the other um, because it'll, the toll will be way too much on us and we sort of we often overreact 
and end up making the situations worse when we, you know, when we go about when we go about trying to solve our neighbors' problems without, you know, without any wisdom or we or understanding. So um, I, I would think I, I would say that there's there's a part of there's a part of this, you know, this idea that's actually pretty helpful. So the idea of dealing with the person in front of you, if while they're in front of you, they exist, fine. But when they're gone, they're gone. Is is a, is is sort of like a coping mechanism, um, a way that we can deal with, a way that we can deal with the world, and not carry too much burdens on our shoulder. Okay. Well, I'm going to challenge a few points here. So, I think before you start necessarily worrying about the child laborer, you first need to learn how to deal with the people that are actually physically in your life, your kids, mm. your wife, like, like, if you can't learn to empathize with those people, the people that you interact with every single day, there's no way that you're going to be able to generate the empathy skills to empathize with a child laborer in, in, in India, for example. Now, here's where I think it's important to kind of worry about or concern yourself with other people when they're not in your immediate presence. So let's say, for example, you have a wife and you know she's going to have a really tough day at work. Like she's been talking about this for a week. She said Wednesday's the day of the big meeting, the big client, whatever it is, right? So your wife has been telling you for a week that Wednesday is going to be a particularly tough day. If you are mindful of her suffering, even when she's away, like you don't see your wife at work. I, I know with like the pandemic, people are working at home, but let's just assume that she's going to her office or whatever. You don't actually physically see her in that office. You don't physically see her um, at work. But if you're thinking about your wife and you're thinking about the suffering that she might have on Wednesday, that can allow you to change your behavior of like, you know what? I'm going to have dinner all ready. I'm going to have it all prepared when my wife comes home. So, you know, she doesn't have to worry about that, or I'm yeah. going to take out the garbage, or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z so that when she comes home, she's going to just have an idyllic experience. Now, a person who cannot visualize their wife's suffering on work on Wednesday isn't going to do any of those things. He's just going to be like, well, I don't see the boss yelling at her. I don't see the coworkers yelling at her. I don't see the client freaking out. And they're just going to, you know, be selfish and they're just going to do what they normally would do. They're like, well, I planned on playing video games all Wednesday long. And that's what that person would do. So I think that we have an obligation to kind of break free of that shell of what we directly see and encounter in order to become better human beings. Yeah, I, I, to some extent, yes. You know, um, because you you want to you want to understand that the sufferings of other people is actually you know it's a real thing. They are actually going through either an incredible amounts of pain or an incredible amounts of joy. So so but the idea is simply you know um, does solipsism allow allow you to do that? You know, can you you know if 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 you're if you're if you're the only one who exists, if you can only prove that you exist and are not not anybody else, then why does it matter? Why, why should it matter to, you know, um, to not only, I mean, to want to be a good human, to want to be a better human being, sure, but to also, why, why should it matter? Why should it matter that, you know, um, that your wife or your kid is not not doing well in either their workplace or school and, and so forth? Um, because if they're all simulations and they're not real, if they're not real, it's just, a, they'll, tomorrow they'll just press the restart button and then 
everything's everything's okay again speaking that when we when we put ourselves aside and we actually consider and we actually believe that other people are human beings and they do have real pains and real joys and real sufferings and real aspirations then it becomes much it becomes not only it becomes necessary it becomes um important to care and to be to help where you can help um and encourage where you can encourage okay i i can see that you want to get into the proof of this <laughs> but i'm like i'm still just wanting to have more fun of like what 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 would this world be like so before we get to the proof another implication of this would also be that all of history is fake so if you're the only person that actually exists everything that happens before your existence or everything that happens after your existence is also just imaginary it's just it's just a figment of 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 your imagination and to kind of start addressing why this would be problematic for you as a person i i just don't understand how anyone would not be highly depressed every single day of their life if they knew like for example if you're a person right and let's say you're working a long 15 hour day of work and you're really suffering if you were the only person on the face of the earth then you have to deal with the fact that you're the only one that's actually feeling pain in that moment because everyone around you they just vanish into thin air they're not actually putting in the 15 hours of work only you're putting in that 15 hours of work everyone just vanishes and then they magically reemerge when you start seeing and hear them again so and the same thing with pleasure if you're at an amusement park or doing something really fun you have to kind of live with the fact that only you're having fun all of those other people are just just simulations or they're just uh imaginary entities just riding the roller coaster with you so I don't see anyone lasting in this philosophy for very long without really hating the nature of their own existence. I, I just, I, I don't see how that would be possible to really exist here and just know like, this is all for me. This is all just that this whole thing is just for me and that no one else is having a shared experience with you. I, I just find that to be incredibly depressing and that everything that you learned in history, all of the horrific things or whatever, none of it ever happened. I mean, how, how would one even begin to live in a world such as that? It's a very, it's, it's a very lonely existence and it's a very unhappy existence. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an existence with a lot of consequences that, you know, seem to, um, that seems to be more of a detriment to, uh, uh, to the individual. Um, so yeah, if, if, history, if history is not, I mean, if, if, if you're the only, you know, only being in existence, then absolutely, yeah, history is, history is just a load of bollocks. And not only that, um, but all your quote-unquote meaningful relationships aren't really meaningful. They're just figments of the necessary, you know, whatever the necessary simulation of this, 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 this weird imaginary cosmos. And so it's a, it's a very, very lonely existence the other the other thing about this philosophy is like i can't see a way where you don't become pure evil and here's why because if everyone else's suffering is imaginary or fake the then the incentive structure is for you to be as wicked to people as humanly possible so that you mitigate your own suffering so like if like let's say you force your wife uh, to do something for 20 hours, or you force her to do something highly unpleasant, you would just be thinking in the back of your mind, well, it's better off that she does it because she's fake 
and I'm real. Therefore, you kind of start delegating all suffering onto other people because in your mind, you believe that they are all fake. So th there's no way that this doesn't turn to you just basically creating misery wherever you go because your, 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 your basic um, operating principle is that I'm real, everyone else is fake. Therefore, all the fake people should do all of the drudgery and all of the suffering and I should have none of that on my plate. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that because, you know, what's the point of being good to things that don't exist? What's the point of being kind? I mean, I, I would say that there is there there is still a point, but often I think, you know, when it comes to human nature, we tend to drift far easily towards the negative or the dark or the, um, the selfish uh, way of, you know, going about things. Um, because there could be, there could be a solipsist out there who is, you know, um, dealing with the world in a sense of he knows or he believes that everything is in fact, he can't prove the fact that any, anybody else exists. And so he's, you know, um, um, nothing matters, but still he wants to interact with his world in a sense, in a way that is somewhat beautiful. That's it's he, he still, he or she still sees that, she still sees the world as something that there is still, there's still some participation and it may not mean anything, but it's there's there's participation nonetheless, and it's better than you know better be, better than being isolated, and um, and and unhappy. Maybe may, maybe there would be a a, a solipsist who treats these imaginary avatars well. That the, the solipsist knows full well that if he treats other people well, they're not real, but maybe just for his own comfort he just wants these yeah. imaginary characters to have good lives could be could be possible but I, I i would i would still venture to say that when push comes to shove he's going to be like well i'm the only real person therefore i'm 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 the most supreme and and not only would that person say that they would say if i'm taken out if i die then all of these other imaginary figures are gone as well so I think that person would still put their life as being the supreme life because they know that if they're taken out, all of the other imaginary figures also die with them. Yeah, yeah. My idea is, is possible, just not probable. Yeah, it's yeah. Because when we're dealing, yeah, we it's it's the, the the natural consequences of you know of thinking that you're the most important or the only um, being of any substance whatsoever. We, we we squash insects when they're an inconvenience to us. Mm. I don't see why it would be any different for, you know, um, to get rid of an agent that really isn't an agent, an, an, an imaginary agent um, that's an inconvenience to you in, in one way, shape, or form. Yes. Within the confines of the law, obviously, because even if you're the only person in existence, all of the imaginary people could still throw you in jail and, yeah. make, you, and yeah. make you suffer there, you know? <laughs> Yeah, which is, which is an interesting part of this, of this idea. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, you're not real, but man, that punch really felt real. <laughs> okay. You know, you know what this is like? It's like, imagine, you know, you know, like you have a little girl or a little kid and they're having a, a tea party with their stuffed dolls. Well, imagine like they know the stuffed dolls are fake, but they still have to play the rules of the game. You know, you know how fuss it's like, even though I know that this doll is stuffed and fake, I still have to treat it nicely eh? because there's still consequences in this imaginary world. That's crazy. That's that's just that's just yeah. That's <laughs> 
That's just wild. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. I, um, I, and this, ne- I, like, honestly, I learned about this philosophy once in college and then it was never talked about again. I've never heard a podcast about it. I've never, it's like, like even the Wikipedia article is completely barren on this subject matter. It's like, there's very little there. I, I don't, f- I feel like people are really petrified of talk, talking about this. I think I think that if it was true, the implications of it would be just too much for people to handle. And, and that's why it just, it kind of, so I appreciate you going here. Okay, now we're gonna get to the proof aspect, which I, I think you're a little more eager to get to. No, oh. I, I doubt it, but <laughs> I don't see, I don't think, I don't see. <laughs> you don't see a way out of this? I don't know, I, I don't know how I gave you that impression, but no, please go on. <laughs> All right, we'll talk a little bit about the proof. Okay, so first we have to prove that we are real. Like we, we have to prove that we're not the imaginary person, right? And that, that's, the, that's the, the first step. And the way that we do that is with Descartes, who you know, famously said, I, I think, therefore I am. And what does that mean? What does the phrase, I think, therefore I am, actually mean, according to Descartes? Well, we're, we're alive 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, yes, we fall asleep for seven or eight hours, you know, most of us, right? But if you really wanted to, you could actually stay awake for 24 hours at a time. You absolutely could. And you're the only one, like you are the only one that you are fully with at all times. That's, that's a really crazy fact about our existence. It's like, even if, you, even if you were married to your wife for 50 years, as soon as you go into the bathroom, you are now separated from your wife. And you don't know that your wife is on the other end of that door. You only know that you're on the other end of the door sitting on the toilet, right? So you are the only one that you travel with throughout the duration of your life. And that's kind of proof that you exist. Kenny, do you think that's sufficient enough proof that you yourself exist, the fact that you have to live with yourself 24-7? Yeah, I mean, f- f- so I, I went through the, you know, through the task of proving my own existence to myself not too long ago. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were doubting your own existence. Okay. I just, wanted, a... I just wanted to make, I just, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> because there was a time, there was a time of... <laughs> There's a, man, there's a man takes a massive dump and you realize my goodness if you know if i if if i do if i do exist i've just i've shamed myself ridiculously because what just came out of my butt is is ridiculous um, but, <laughs> um so the idea for me uh, the idea personally is um is experience and exertion e plus e equals e experience plus ex- exertion equals existence so that experience that which I you know observe take in that which comes to me through my senses touch um, smell all these things so what I experience I and 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 and, and, um, and I can how you say I can make inf- in, you know inferences based on what on those those kinds of things based on what I experience so if I if I if I bump into something I know that there is you know there is there is an object in front of me and if there's an object in front of me that I feel it means that there's an agent, there's an agent, there's an agency between, you know, um, there's an agency um, within, within myself that allows me to experience this, this object. And therefore, not just, not, it's not only I that exists, but this object also exists, but I'm the one, as far as I know, 
I'm the one who is experiencing it. I consciously processing it in my <clears throat> in my mind jellies. So consciously processing it in my in my mind jellies, and I know that I'm I'm having what we what we what we collectively call an experience, describe an experience as an experience. So what I see, what I taste, what I touch, smell, and so forth. F fine. Is that is that is is that enough? Is that enough to say okay that I exist because I experience things? Well, personally, I don't think so, because cats experience things dogs experience things i mean even the objects that i touched experienced the touch whether whether it whether it consciously experienced it or not it still experienced it there was there was there was a coming together of matter so the second thing the second part for me is now exertion okay i'm a i'm a thinking breathing being which means that i i have i have some mobility some force some um, some initiative in this world. So I move my hands, I talk, I bob my head back and forth, I can see myself moving about. And I have, I have agency in the world to do whatever, whatever I please to do. And so these two things combined, experience plus, experience plus exertion, proves to me personally that I am an, I am an active living agent because I process these things with my with my mind jellies and all those people call it consciousness but so that that's that's where i would go for mine okay so i'm going to take three steps backwards and it's going to be really annoying and it's going to be really frustrating but i feel like i have to do this so mm -hmm. i actually think that a part of me does not exist i'm going to explain how how this is the case you have okay Let's say a man goes to the gym on Tuesday and on Tuesday, he feels the burn in his muscles and he says, ah, oh, this feels great. I can feel my muscles growing. I feel progress. I feel growth. And he catalogs that experience as a positive thing. He feels the burn in his muscles and catalogs that workout session or that sensation as positive. Then let's say the very next day he goes back to the gym does that same exact workout, feels the same exact burn in his muscles. But for whatever reason, he catalogs that burn, even though it was identical to the burn the previous day, as pain. Like, oh, man, I must have strained myself. Oh, I've pushed that too far. It's like, in some way, your experience is not fully objective, and it's not fully real. Because assuming, and I know it's impossible for this to happen, but just bear with me for a second. If that sensation that the man felt in his muscles was identical on Tuesday as it was on Wednesday, his mind is actually creating false impressions of what actually happened. Because on Tuesday, he cataloged that sensation as growth or something positive or like a, a good sensation. But on Wednesday, he cataloged that sensation as pain and suffering. So our sensations are very dependent on our subjective matter. Like, you know, like, like, and, and this is for everything that goes through life. Like there's like, you could look back at your past and say, oh my God, I was bullied in high school and that destroyed my self-esteem. It destroyed my self-confidence. Five years later, you might look back and say, 
I was bullied in high school and that allowed me to overcome that obstacle. So we are constantly shuffling and recataloging our experiences based on our subjective matter. So a, a lot of what we perceive, I would argue, is actually not real. It's very subjective. That's fine, but the, the, we still perceive it. Now, how we, how we choose to classify it or categorize it is a different matter, but the perception is there. So if, um, if just like your, for your example, the, the man who goes to the gym and feels the, feels the burn and decides to categorize it as good, well, he felt the pain. It's still, it's still something that he processed. The very fact, the very nature of his processing means that there is there is a how you say um um there is a there is a thing happening it is not a no thing it is a thing and because it is a thing he must address it as a thing and if he if he addresses it as a thing he has to he also has to take into account that there is a process within him that addresses it as a thing and so it goes back and forth and you know the whole nature of trying to prove consciousness but the idea is simply that, and then he goes back. He goes back to the gym, and he experiences the same. This is as possible, right? He experiences the same exact pain, um, but he categorizes it as bad the next day. Well, he still experienced it, and so it's it's not so much it's not so much the categorization or the um, um, or the you know the labeling of what this is, but the um, but the experiencing of the physical pain. Um, that's, uh, that matters. What about the case of, let's say, psychosomatic pain? So like in the example that I used with the, with the gym, there was actually a real action that occur, occurred, like the guy did a bicep curl or something. What about somebody who feels as if they have lower back pain, but there was no actual incident that actually led to the catalyst for that back pain. It's just like, he just, on Wednesday, he just feels like he has that pain. And then on Thursday, he doesn't feel like he has that pain. And a lot of, like a lot of our, a lot of things, sometimes people feel depressed for no reason, or, or they, they fall, like they, they, they fall into a funk or they fall into a mood. And there isn't always like this giant catalyst that happens that is like, oh, well, I broke up with my girlfriend, therefore I feel depressed. Sometimes it just kind of happens. And I, I feel like there are sensations that we all feel and there isn't necessarily a real external stimuli that's causing that sensation to occur. Yes, that's possible, but we still feel it. The existence, the existence, the existence is proved simply by the feeling of it. it doesn't have to be how you say. If if it was a rock, the rock would just sit there as a rock, and we wouldn't. We would never know. The pain of the rock could exist, and we don't know. But this, the person who feels either the real pain or the you know um, psychosomatic pain is still feeling the pain. It's, in, it's the, because that's that's where the interest is. Is the agent feels something? He's he's not just f numbing, you know, floating through life, numb, feeling nothing, and then because that 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 would be a, that would be a very interesting situation to be in. Um, but the, I would my, so what, what I would say is that the very fact that the pain is felt or the depression is felt in the agents is is um, um is is what i'm looking at okay so i i agree with you that that whatever you're feeling your consciousness is real right i, I agree with descartes that your thoughts 
of like, if you say I feel pain, whether that pain has a basis in the external world or does not have a basis in the external world, as far as your consciousness is concerned, that is real pain or that is real happiness. I guess, I guess it would kind of be, it's up to an outside observer to come in and then validate whether your pain is real or false by external standards, right? By, by your internal, and you know, I know this is getting complicated, but by your internal clock, whatever you feel is real. So if you say I have lumbar, if, I, if you say I have back pain, regardless of what the MRI or the x-rays show, if your consciousness perceives you to have lower back pain, as far as your consciousness is concerned, that pain is 100% real. The question is, does what an external entity, does the validation of an external entity matter whatsoever? So if a doctor says, hey man, you don't really have lower back pain, does that matter or do we just trust our, our own um, consciousness? No, I think it does matter because you know that's that's what we have you know um, terms like you know psychosomatic. Um, so I, I think it does it does matter in the sense of we, because now we're we're putting that we're putting that kind of pain in a certain category, and we're saying this is the kind of pain that the agent seems to feel for as far as we know no reason whatsoever, and so it does matter because it 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 puts it helps the patients it helps the agents say okay. Though I feel it, it has no external. It, 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 it has no external causes. This is all within me. But it doesn't negate the fact that he or she still feels that pain. Um, so, as in the in the external standards, no, that person should be fine. Absolutely, should be. Who who knows what what you know what's going on? You know, but the, the I. But as long as they feel the pain, and the pain is real to them, then within themselves they know they, they they have they have some proof of of their own mind and their own consciousness and their own their, at least the, the existence of their own body um outside of that is a different story one thing i want to also talk about is the the opposite of psychosomatic pain um, and that is when an individual has actually been afflicted, but they don't perceive there to be pain. And we all know this guy. We all know that guy who like got punched in the face or banged his head and he's gushing blood. And he's like, I don't feel anything. I, I feel fine. Right. Or we know that dude who has the magical ability to go out in the middle of the winter in shorts and an undershirt. And everyone's like, aren't you freezing? And the guy's like, nope, I, I'm not freezing. I'm, I'm totally cool. Right. So we also have the inverse of this of like the guy who everyone on the external world says, dude, there's blood gushing from your forehead. And the guy's like, no, I don't feel anything. I, I feel totally fine. Who's, whose opinion is right? It, it's like, it, it, if the guy said, if the guy who's gushing blood from his head says, well, I don't feel anything. It, it's totally, my perception is that I'm totally fine. Is that person right? Or does the external world have like some, some validation to say, no, dude, you know, your, your, your head is gushing blood and you might develop an infection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I actually heard this, uh, um, so a documentary, not I think a couple of years back, about uh, a stuntman who didn't have the ability to feel pain, and uh, one of the problems growing up was that he they had to keep him from biting off his own tongue because he there was no resistance, and so you know there was no that 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 internal clock, that internal 
um, warning alarm of pain, you know, to keep you from doing um, what would be harmful to yourself wasn't there. And so as a child, biting off his tongue was one of those, you know, was like, you know, it's super easy, <laughs> super simple. Um, so I, I, to answer your question, well, it, it's, it's, um, it gets complicated, but I would say just generally speaking, it's both because he doesn't feel the pain and to him, he's fine. And he doesn't, he doesn't feel the, the threat or the danger, so he's fine. And so when he says he's okay, he means it. He's not, he's, he's, he's not, you know, scrambling for the hills. But, you know, the external forces looking at him and seeing the blood gushing into his eyes and his, you know, head and all over his face, <laughs> we're all worried. Um, I, they're right too, because they have, they have reason to be concerned because there is, there, there is his head has been <laughs> blasted, blasted open. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it's, it's something. It's something out of a Saturday Night Live skit. Um, he's uh, so I would say that it's both. Both both are pointing to a reality, but because we live in a we live in a very objective slash sub, my friends and I call it a, a, a subject an objective subjective world, in the sense that. There are objective, there are objective things that we that we encounter, but we're all addressing those things from a very subjective point of view. Yes. Um, and so it it takes it, it takes uh, um, th I mean that's that's why that's it's that's why it's super important for us to have you know for us to have those people who will tell us yeah the, your your head is bleeding man because we all have places blind spots where we don't see we don't understand we don't no no man is an island oh. <laughs> no, you know, an so an interesting area where this actually gets tested out is I, I've done a little bit of research on uh, Shaolin monks, for example, and you know, in 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 parts of China, there there are these monks, for example, who practice martial arts, yeah. and they're actually able to develop some pretty cool superhuman like abilities, like yeah. they they can train their bodies where you could punch them right in the gut and they, they can absorb the shock of that. Um, they, they, they can break like, you know, 10 bricks or whatever it is. Like they're able, like the external world, like if you had a med, an MD, a medical doctor or a scientist come and look at these Shaolin monks, they'd be like, no man, you know, your rib cage is going to break if this happens and this and that. And then these Shaolin monks are able to like do these like almost supernatural like feats that modern science would say no that th that's not possible yet they're able to do it and they ask them the Shaolin monk well what's the secret why why is it that you know someone can punch you in the stomach and you don't break a single rib and they say that it's building up your consciousness to a level so that you believe like th like it, it's like it's not so much the, the like they could do a thousand push-ups or whatever. It's not the push-ups that are making their bodies physically strong. It's just that they're altering their consciousness in such a way that they truly believe that when that guy punches them in the stomach, it's not going to hurt. And therefore it doesn't hurt. So I, I, it's really crazy that like what we believe of ourselves can in some, I'm not saying a hundred percent. It's like we have more wiggle room and we're able to push the boundaries of human limitations based solely on what we believe in. I'm not saying to the point where we can jump off a cliff and fly, but there's, there's actually a lot more wiggle room to our consciousness than what we believe. 
Yeah, I mean, so if you look at the whole, you know, the placebo effects, it's it's one of those things that's actually very just incredibly fascinating. Um, and this is it's 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 a little bit of a testament to that in the sense of you know what the mind what our minds are capable of doing, what our, what our minds are capable of doing in regards to our bodies and how we interact with the world. Um, so I I'm, I'm I absolutely love that. It, it's 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 wonderful. And yeah, the, the case of you know monks or uh, the case of you know peace, uh, you know patients who have uh, taken sugar tablets and found themselves cured of whatever sickness or whatever it may be. It's incredible. And uh, I was listening to the radio, man, and there was a guy who had a serious like heart condition, like serious heart condition. And he was prescribed like placebo heart medication. And yet his heart rate still went like down to normal or something. I'm like, dude's been taking sugar pills, but just his sheer conviction and his sheer belief that these pills were making a difference actually allowed him to have like a normal heart. And it's just like, there needs to be like more investigative work into that because like at some degree, like at some degree, we're able to negate the external world. Our mind is able to say, like, I'm wondering like that guy, let's say there's a guy who gets into a bar fight and then mm. a dude takes a, a, a bottle of beer and smashes it over his head. The guy is like bleeding. If the guy truly believes like, nope, this isn't going to kill me. Nope. I don't care how much my forehead is bleeding. I wonder if his sheer willpower can just prevent him from dying or prevent him from going unconscious, or maybe the blood will just stop. I mean, I'm wondering how far, what, what is the boundaries? What is the limits of me just believing that like, I am not hurt? That, that would be a very interesting study. And I think that's, that's more, more of a, a question for, for, for a brilliant expert, which I am not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, uh, I think it's, it would be something that I'll be more than willing to look into because it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, what you hear the, you know, the stories of mothers lifting, you know, incredibly large objects, yep. um, you know, just to save their children, things that they would not in any way in a million years thought they could have you know, lifted on their own. Um, it, it's, it's really incredible what the human mind is capable of. And, uh, and it, it, it would be, it would be a very, very interesting study. And, and I think, I think we don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think we give it um, um, as much as attention as it deserves. See, I, I think like a lot of that, those anecdotes and a lot of those stories are like some form of proof that a lot of, you know, like, I think that's, it's, it, some of those anecdotes are proof that a bit of what we believe to be real about the external world isn't so real, right? And, and I've heard those stories too, where a guy was trapped under a car that, you know, weighed two tons and some, some 55-year-old guy with back problems lifted up the car for a few minutes, you know, for a few seconds and let that guy escape. I'm like, wait a minute, um, physics, external world, biology, all of that just got thrown out the window, just, just completely got thrown out the window by that 55 year old lifting up a two ton car or whatever it was, you know? And it's like, um, yeah, yeah. Like th that, that, that's not looking good for the external world. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Let's get to the, to the proof stuff here. I believe Descartes that we exist, that mm -hmm. I exist, and you've done your own studies that prove that you exist. So we're in agreement that Aaron Azrod exists, Kenny exists. We, we can say that for yourself. Well, I can say that for me, absolutely. Yeah, you can say that for you. You can say that for you, and I can say that about me. 
Yeah. Now the the real challenge is how do I know that you, Kenny, exist? And right, and and I, if you are real, how do you know that I exist? How do I know any of this external stuff exists? And I don't I, I don't think there is a mathematical or logical proof that we're going to arrive at. I, I don't I don't think we 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 can ever prove that anything outside of ourselves exists. I mean, one argument you could make is just grab a burning stove and you're going to see how real the external world is. Like, go ahead, just, just grab a burning stove and then you're going to feel the external world impacting you. Do you think maybe that, maybe that's like some evidence that, that something outside of us exists? Because if nothing outside of us existed when we grabbed a burning stove, theoretically, we should just be able to mentally overpower that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's 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 interesting. It's it's very interesting because you know. Um, yeah, it's it's not one of those things that is you you can't you cannot. Or should I say it's for me? Right. At least at this moment. Um, come to a certain certain you know beyond the doubt proof that at least philosophically speaking I, I would say that somebody else exists um, because you you I mean you are a subjective being living in living in a very you know very convincing large and convincing world mm, convincing. but you're still you're, you're still you're still you're still you're still you know um, you're, you're still a limited being yeah. And so, you know, you can't jump, hop yourself into another person's mind. And, uh, and this is why, you know, life is very, whether you're a solipsist or not, life at the end of the day is a very lonely, lonely existence because you, can, you can't really know another person fully. Um, and no one can ever really know you fully, not even your wife. And so I would say that, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's very, it's if, if, if not impossible, very difficult. Um, as far as I know, to prove the existence of the other. But you also, but I like what you're, you're, you're kind of saying something uh, pretty clever here. You also don't have enough knowledge to negate the existence of another, right? Yeah. So, so like, for example, l let's just say that you're um, a video game sprite, okay? And you're, you're the only playable character and everyone else is a non-playable character. The playable character sprite doesn't know that the other non-playable characters are real or fake. It's only the person holding the controller who actually knows that this is a video game. So only the person, with, only the real person with the with their fingers on the joystick knows. Okay, this is a playable character sprite, and this is these are all non-playable characters. Only they know. But the 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 main character in the video game itself can never fully become aware that they're the only real person. So I, I think that through that limitation, like, like because, because I can never, I can't prove Kenny that you exist, but I also can't prove that you don't exist. So I have to just assume, I have to run this life or run this video game based on the assumption that you are real. And I guess generally speaking, if I assume other people are real, I'm going to be, a lot happier how does that sound yeah but it's you know i think I, th I think i think that sounds good and i think you're right you will be i mean you will be happier um, <laughs> but it's also you know it's also a matter um, of 
picking the most reasonable conclusion in sense of the one that gives you the most, how you say. So I can, as much as I'd like unicorns to exist, and I do want unicorns to exist, trust me. <laughs> as much as I'd like that, I, and, I've, and, and I've, you know, I can go spend my whole life searching for one, and I, and I never find one. And I say, well, unicorns and, you know, unicorns and people are just the same. I can't prove they exist, but I can't prove they don't exist. Well, sure, but I've seen people. I've seen people, dang it, you know, like. Um, or so you people, think you've seen people. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to say. Is that even, if, even, if, even if it's like, I think I've seen people, mm. it's still the most reasonable conclusion. It's still yeah. the most, just because I, if I see a mirage, if I see a mirage in the desert, Sorry, if, I, if I'm in the desert and I see water, right? I see water and I tell myself, okay, this could be a mirage or it could, it, it could be real and I don't know, right? I'm not going to walk away from that mirage. Right. Even, if, even, if I'm, even if I'm not thirsty. Let's just say I'm, I've just had a, just drank my last bottle of water. I'm good, you know? I'm not going to walk away from that mirage because it may be real. In, in not not the sense that it may be real because just because it's me it, it may be real is is, is all about, it, it may be real absolutely but not just that it's let's just say that I, okay I've um uh, and I know that you know cer certain bodies of water exist in this you know uh, in this in this area I know that there's there's probable cause there's probable there's 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 probable um there's good reason to believe that this is real but I'm not certain I'm not this is not a hundred percent certain that it is real I just have knowledge that there is it is probable that this is real. I'm going to lean towards that mirage and not walk away from it. So I, I, what I'm saying is, yeah, though you can't prove absolutely for sure whether the whether the cat, you know, whether the cat is dead or alive. Yeah. We, we need to look. We need to look to. We need to find. Okay, where is it leaning? Where is reality leaning? Where is it? Where is it pushing towards? Is it pushing towards this this figment of my imagination? Is it pushing towards you know not real? all the simulation, um, all nonsense, or is it pushing, um, is it pushing, is it leaning more towards real, meaningful, and, uh, you know, um, the encountering of, the encountering of others, hmm. um, and so I, I, so that's, that's how I would do it, is, is just the most, the most reasonable, um, the most reasonable option. Okay, well, let me, let me propose this, what about a hybrid solution, and, and here is okay. my hybrid solution, you're in the middle of the desert and you see water, right? And you don't know it's a mirage or you don't know if it's real. You walk over to the mirage and then you, you take your, your, your water bottle or your canteen and you dip it in, you start drinking that water. But as you're drinking that water, you're like, yeah, tastes a little bit like sand. I, I think I, I think I feel a, a, a seashell in my, in my mouth right now. Right. And, you know, I think, I think one of my teeth, one of my, uh, I think my teeth are becoming a little uh, crooked right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it ever perhaps wise to kind of pause and sort of question the external reality just a little bit? Because if you just say, oh, well, if I see water, then it, therefore it must be water. If you're always just going, if you're just immediately just trusting whatever it is that you see, you never leave open the possibility of maybe the external world is, is wrong. And, and again, I'm going to go back to the, um, to the Shaolin monk example. If the Shaolin monk, when he, 
when they were 10 years old said, well, you know, according to science, if I get punched in the stomach, I'm going to break my ribs and develop, you know, and my internal organs are going to die, right? If, if, if the Shaolin monk went on their default perception of the world from the get-go, then they would never, ever be able to develop any type of supernatural ability. So I'm not saying that you should completely distrust the external world. Do you think it's ever appropriate, though, to have some skepticism of the external world so that you always leave open the possibility that, one, the external world is incorrect, and two, you might actually have, like, some inner abilities that you may not be, like, aware of? Yeah, I mean, questioning, questioning the external world is super important. Um, and I think that it's something that we kind of do all the, you know, hope, not, not everybody, I don't, I don't think that everybody does this or even should do it, because if you don't care, you don't care. But for those who care and those who want to, it's very important that you do. But at the end of the day, here, here's, here's, here's the problem with questioning everything, mm-hmm. is there are those who question everything and never come to a conclusion about anything. And so that's, that's really, that's a very strange and dangerous place to be. Um, so if you're questioning to really understand, to find out, absolutely, please, by all means. Um, and if it leads you towards, yeah, this is real, or leads you towards, no, this is an illusion, then, then please, by all, you know? Um, so I would say that it's very important to question, and it's very important, the, this ongoing skepticism um, is, is important. And it's, uh, it kind of keeps us, it keeps us curious, or should I, maybe it's, maybe, yeah, it keeps us curious and it keeps us, you know, um, yeah, it, keep, it keeps, it keeps, it keeps us, it keeps us from falling into a, a lot of different traps and dangers. I like, I actually like your, um, your caveat there. So let, let me see if I can paraphrase this into some kind of axiom. So if you see, a, if you see water in the desert, trust your eyes and trust your ears, trust your senses. Okay. So the first rule of living in this world is trust your senses fully. However, leave open the possibility that your senses might be deceiving you. So you're not, you're not interacting with this world. Like that's fake. That's fake. That's fake. That's a fake car. That's a fake person, right? Like, cause you're going to go crazy pretty darn, you know, you're going to go crazy if you, if you live your life that way. So uh, trust your senses, trust that everything is real, but if something feels a bit off, have, leave room that things may not be as you perceive them to be. So do you think that's a healthy way of living? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it's I I I would say so. Yes, but to put it simply, yes, I I would say so. Yeah, because we can't we can't just be living in a world where everything outside of me is fake. Because if you if you're living that way, um, one you're gonna fall into a pretty darn deep depression, and and two you're just you know there's a whole world outside of yourself that you're not really interacting with, right? Like you you know, so. Okay, we're, we're, we're over an hour here, so I kind of want to leave off with some takeaways. Um, I think, you know, you can trust that you yourself, the listener, is real, right? Whoever's listening to this, you are real, just letting you know. <laughs> and I, I, I think I, I can't, we can't prove that, we don't have definitive logical mathematical proofs that other people are real. But in order to get the best experience out of this world, assume that everything in the external world is real until proven otherwise. I think, I, I think regardless of what's actually going on, whether this is a simulation, whether we're just like consciousness, whatever ends up being the case, 
it really doesn't matter because in order to live the best possible life that you can get, assuming that others are real and that their suffering, their happiness, their dreams, their sorrow, their regrets are real, is going to create best possible experience for, for you in, in this world. Is there anything else you want to add to that? You don't pet a burning dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's an American Psycho reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, my imaginary friend. Um... <laughs> you too, Mr. Puggles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kenny. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank, thank you for having me, Aaron. This concludes the 149th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azra.